Welcome to Up Next. I'm Gabrielle Boucher, millennial author and entrepreneur. Each week, I bring to you next generation leaders and millennial game changers to inspire you to change your world. Let's see what's next. Welcome back to the show, everyone. It's your host, Gabrielle Boucher, and, and this week, we are getting into it. We're talking about some very relevant political issues that are affecting you probably more than you even know. This week's guest is Samuel Gregg, and Samuel is a research director at the Acton Institute, an incredible organization. He's the author of multiple books, including For God and Profit, How Banking and Finance Can Serve the Common Good. And he's a senior contributor here at the stream. Sam, thanks for coming on the show. Gabrielle, it's great to be with you. So this week we're talking about what is next for free trade in America? This idea of, of trade is something that most of us don't think about. We don't think about how it affects our everyday lives. We don't consider how it affects the price of goods. And, and you have gone on to author an, an impressive series here on the stream on free trade. So I'd, I want to hear your perspective and help uh, give you a platform to to extrapolate on more of the issues relevant to millennials in America. So you went ahead and, and, and before President Trump became President Trump, prior to the election, uh, you you criticized or at least uh, gave a, a different perspective on his his now kind of infamous phrase, make America great again. So I want to hear from your perspective now that we're past that hundred days for the president, how is he doing in regards to trade? Well, I think it's fair to say that, as I mentioned in some of the articles I wrote for the stream last year, that uh, President Trump is essentially, I think, uh, a protectionist. Even more specifically, he's a mercantilist, which has very specific meaning, but people can read about what that means in some of the articles I've written for the stream. But I think that when it comes to his economic policy, he is clearly moving, but also reflecting a shift away from a commitment to free trade that has essentially become more or less a consensus across left and right in the United States for quite some time. So much so that the majority of Americans now, at least according to opinion poll analysis, say that they are skeptical of free trade. And the biggest shift, by the way, has happened among, uh, on the right, so to speak, among conservatives, for example, and self-identified Republicans who now have a more skeptical view of free trade than they used to. So I suspect when he talks about buying American, when he signs executive orders that are designed to promote uh, the buying of American goods, when he talks about um, redoing trade deals, when and he, of course, he pulled us out, America out of the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Trade Deal. So he's really very much, I think, following through on what he said he would do. And I think in that respect, I think it's important for your listeners to know that when, we, when he talks about trade deals, which he does a lot, Trade deals aren't the same thing as free trade. Free trade in a sort of perfect world would be a, a situation where countries signed agreements saying, we hereby commit ourselves to free trade, full stop. Most trade deals are not like that. Most trade deals are 
hundreds and if not thousands of pages long, which involve careful negotiations. And I think you have to assess each trade deal as it comes along in terms of whether it moves us further, further away from or closer to uh, more free trade arrangements. But I think in his case, what we're going to see and what the evidence suggests so far is that he's going to be moving America away from this this one strong commitment to free trade, which has become a lot, str- lot less strong in recent years. And you actually argue that the Buy America campaigns and, and subsidizing of American companies is actually un-American. Sure. Can you explain what you mean by that? The thing about free trade is that it benefits everyone, by which I mean primarily consumers. It reduces prices, it encourages American businesses to be more efficient, it helps American businesses to focus upon what they do well. I mean, the, the, trace, the case for free trade, I think, is, is not actually that hard uh, to explain. Um, the difficulty, however, I think that we're facing when it comes to free trade uh, is that um, people have become skeptical about its effects upon particular segments of the economy. So, for example, the manufacturing sector, they argue, well, we really can't compete anymore in this area when we come to when it comes to China, when it comes to Japan, even when it comes now increasingly to Africa. So the way to deal with that is to basically protect ourselves from competition. And I think that's a mistake. I think it's a mistake because it results in higher prices and uh, for goods and services for consumers across the board. It means that American companies start to shift their attention towards lobbying for favors rather than competing in the in the international marketplace. Uh, it doesn't actually protect jobs. Uh, when it comes to some areas of the economy, the job loss has a lot more to do with technological change than it has to do with uh, openness to free trade. Uh, and I think in many respects, protectionist policies, it's a little like saying, well, those people over there are cutting off their arm because they're adopting protectionist policies which hurt them. So in response, we're going to do a cut off our hand, which will, of course, hurt us. It might hurt them, but it's also going to hurt us as well. So I think in that regard, whenever you start heading down the protectionist path, you think you're doing damage to others. But what you're actually doing, at least in the long term, is significantly undermining the competitiveness and degree of entrepreneurship that exists within a country. Well, I think during the the election season, I think the the president really painted this very clear picture of of kind of the U.S. versus everyone else, the U.S. versus China, uh, the U.S. versus Russia, even the U.S. versus Mexico. And and now that we're you know past that first 100 days, and we're actually starting to see uh, some some of the effect of 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 the deals that he is currently making, how well do you think that the president is doing uh, in regards to trade? I know you 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 shared briefly about you know he's he's doing he's he's doing well according to what he promised, right? I, I think I think that both the left and the right can both uh, admit that he he has been a, a man of his word in in many regards. Uh, but what does the the future of trade look like after a Trump presidency? Well, I think free trade is in trouble across the world generally. Uh, it's not just in the United States. Uh, you see, with the rise of what you might call economic nationalism throughout uh, Western Europe, uh, increasingly in Latin America as well. So this is not a specifically American problem. So in that regard, what we're seeing is a shift away from what you might call economic globalization. It's not just a U.S. issue. It's an issue that is present 
everywhere. So to the extent that President Trump's policies uh, ex exacerbate or increase that trend, then it leads to a world which is much considerably less economically integrated than before. One of the things I think it's important to keep in mind is that many advocates of free trade, and I'm very much an advocate of free trade, as you may have guessed, uh, we, we often as, as assume that the move towards free trade is inevitable, that just everyone will see the case for free trade. The difficulty, however, is that it's clear that a lot of people do not see as easily as some others the, the case for free trade, perhaps because free trade does produce some losers. There's no question about that. Some people, for example, your average 55-year-old coal miner is going to lose out from free trade when it comes to his or her particular job. And I think free traders have been a little blasé uh, about that. There have been a tendency to sort of talk in macro terms about these issues rather than thinking about how they actually impact individuals' lives. So that's, I think, something the free trade crowd, we have to get a lot better at showing how it actually benefits, um, quote unquote, the little guy. Uh, but that's going to be hard, I think, over the next four years but with this shift against economic globalization. It also doesn't help the cause of economic globalization to be associated with what I call Davos man. By Davos man, I mean this group of people who gather together every year at Davos, uh, who uh, in many respects, you might call them globalists. They're, ho they're generally hostile to ideas of national sovereignty, to ideas of patriotism. They're generally socially associated with what you might call a very plastic view of the human person. Uh, and they often fall into the trap, I think, of thinking that, well, free trade is going to solve all problems, so why can't everyone get with the program? <laughs> that is clearly, there's a major reaction against that. And I think one of the things for free traders has to be to disassociate themselves with what might you, you might call the beautiful people, the powerful people, and to show that free trade is not about protecting and uh, privileging particular groups. In fact, it does the exact opposite. But that's going to be a hard argument to make, I think, in the current climate, but where clearly free trade is on the back foot. But economically speaking, I think it would generally result overall in a deterioration of economic conditions in the United States. Now, free trade won't solve all problems. As I often like to say to people, free trade, free markets, they will not save your soul. But that said, free markets are very important when it comes to uh, uh, building up free societies. And in the case of economic globalization and free trade, well, they are part of that general case for the market. So free marketers have to get smarter, more strategic, and more equipped at using, frankly, non-economic language to explain their case so that more Americans can understand uh, the case for free trade and how it benefits them in particular. Well, I think these these conversations around trade are are oftentimes veiled in other terms. Oftentimes, we're not having conversations about you know quote unquote free trade, and we're not talking about trade. I think I, I think President Trump has has made trade agreements more of a, a commonplace term inside of American households. But typically, trade is veiled as as other as other things. So, for our listeners, how how would you suggest they start to to analyze, or what are some other phrases? How can they start talking about these issues in terms and phrases that our colleagues can understand? Well, phrases would be things like "free trade is patriotic." Uh, that's one example because the protectionist side, more or less, have captured the 
what you might call the rhetorical and moral high ground. Even the very word protectionism, right? It sounds like you care about people. It sounds like you want to protect people from the big, bad, nasty world out there. So I think that using phrase, phrases like um, free trade is patriotic, free trade is American, free trade it uplifts all, free trade keeps business disciplined, uh, free trade ends monopolies, free trade ends privileges, uh, protectionism is for the powerful, protectionism is for the privileged. There's a variety of different phrases, which I've just literally rattled off the top of my head, with, <laughs> uh, making a better rhetorical case for free trade. Now, there's no question, I think, that economically speaking, you have to think in a little bit counterintuitively to understand free trade and how it works. And free trade, of course, is always about the long term. It's not about the short term. So I think in that regard, arguing that free trade is good for your children, free trade is good for your future, the future of your country, to put the case for free trade so that people understand its long-term benefits for any one, any one nation that embraces it, I think that's got to be part of the, the rhetoric, rhetorical strategy that's employed by free traders in the future. Yeah, and, and that long-term strategy is often, oftentimes what's so so overlooked and, and so uh, ignored, frankly, by, by many presidents in the past because you don't have that quick jump in, in either approval ratings or, or in a higher level of understanding from the American people at large. Well, in your book, For God and Profit, you provide a biblical perspective for Christians on our financial system. And so I'm curious, what do you believe is the most biblical form of trade? Well, when it comes to trade, I think if you look at um, the scriptures, it's very clear that trade and work are seen as good things, uh, which made the um, the which made the, the Jews and Christians very different in the ancient world, because remember in the ancient world, trade and commerce was seen as the occupation of slaves, or even women for that matter. Remember, women were basically viewed as subhuman in the uh, pagan world. When it comes to trade, there is this sense, of course, that humans are supposed to be creative, that they're supposed to interact. And so while it's true to say that if you look at the economy of ancient Israel, we're talking about highly agricultural societies with very little capital, which means, of course, we can't and we shouldn't be in the business of trying to replicate the exact economy of ancient Israel in modern times. It does provide us with some principles for thinking through um, how free trade fits into a biblical vision. And one of those, of course, is that we've all been given different talents, even different countries have been given di different resources and different comparative advantages. And one of the ways that we engage together as a human race is through trading and through interacting with each other in the material, in the market world. And I think if you look at the scriptures, you'll find that that is more or less the type of vision that is articulated. And of course, one of the things that's, that's, that's very important in any discussion of the Bible and the economy is how the poor are helped, how we care about the least of our neighbors among us. And in that regard, I think the fact that it's very clear that free trade creates wealth it lifts up all people over the long term, including the poor. I think that biblical imperative about caring for the poor 
should have some influence when it comes to people of faith, when they're thinking about the case for free trade versus protectionism. All right, Sam, last question here. At the end of, of Trump's first term, what is the one thing that you'd like to see him accomplish in regards to free trade? I think that given his predilections and his, his particular understanding of how the international economy works, if he was to able to, quote-unquote, renegotiate some of these trade deals so that they shifted uh, the overall picture globally but also nationally towards freer trade arrangements, that would be good. Um, is he going to do that? Well, we don't know. I mean, he's somewhat unpredictable. So far, he's played the played pretty close to the protectionist position when it comes to his particular economic policies. But if he's in the business of negotiate, renegotiating trade deals, that, of course, is an opportunity for enhancing the degree of free trade that's actually allowed by these trade deals. So if he can move things in that direction, uh, given the context, given his own political preferences, given the particular preferences of, of, of the majority of Americans right now, if he's able to move some of these trade deals in the direction of more free trade rather than less, uh, then from my perspective, that would be a plus. Wonderful. Well, Sam Gregg of the Acton Institute, thank you for joining us on this week's episode of Up Next. We look forward to having you back on the show and further discussing relevant economic topics as it relates to our generation. 